Welcome back. I'm here again with Dr. Paul Smith. Dr. Smith, welcome. Thanks. Please, so today, please from now on call me Paul. Yeah. Okay. I, I just I try to be as respectful as possible. No, no, I appreciate but, I appreciate that, but I also don't like to be too stuffy either about it. No. So there's a picture behind you that we've heard, referred to in the last interview of Ingo Swan. Ingo Swan is the author of a book called Penetration that involved his remote viewing of non-human entities, let's just let's just call it. What's been your experience going all the way back to the unit and then stretching all the way to today for client work and things like that? What have what have been your experiences remote viewing off-world targets? Well, or maybe that, even on-world targets, so right? On-world, yes. That, that all started, yeah. of course, early in my remote viewing career. Let's actually start with on-world because I think that's actually pretty intriguing. Yeah. So the first ones of those I did, these were, uh, I mentioned Skip Atwater before. And he had some targets that he would work us partly as a training kind of feature, kind of keep us from getting too locked in, but also out of curiosity as well. Some of them involved remote viewers that Pat Price did. Pat Price was one of the earliest official remote viewers at, at SRI International and one of the best. He did some amazing work, absolutely amazing work, and some of which has never been duplicated in terms of quality and success. Well, he really freaked out, I think, the CIA when he was supposed to remote view a cabin in West Virginia, and he ended up reviewing like a highly classified NSC facility NSA. where he was reading like folder names and like cue ball and this and that. He freaked out the he freaked out the CIA, but he freaked out the NSA even more because that was totally, I mean, it was a really black project. It, it, these days we know it had to do with with satellite intercepts and, you know, all kinds of tech stuff that back then was really unknown, right? And, and the fact that we were being able to do such success against the Soviets using satellite technology, which, of course, that was really old stuff. But anyway, yeah, he he remote viewed stuff there that was really quite secret that, that NSA didn't think anybody knew and CIA didn't even know about it, right? So, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, a bit of a tangent, but yeah. So Pat one day came into the office at SRI and threw some a stack of papers on Hal Putoff's desk and said, "Well, you know, I didn't have anything to do last night, so I decided to remote view alien bases on planet Earth, try and find out where the alien bases on planet Earth." And there are four of them in there, and they were Mount Perdido between Spain and France, the Pyrenees, the Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. There was a, a mountain in Australia, one in Africa, one in South America, right? So there's and, Mount, Mount Zeal, there's one in Z, the one in Zimbabwe, I think, and there's one Mount Hayes in Alaska. So it was what? Yeah, so I'm sorry, Alaska, not South America. Mount Hayes in Alaska, mm-hmm. and I'm blanking on the one that's in Australia. Which Zeal. Is, oh, Zeal's in Australia, yeah. It's the one in Zimbabwe that I'm, I'm forgetting. I, I can't remember that one either. It's hard to remember. It's a hard name, yeah. So anyway, Hal doesn't know what to do about this, but he had to report it to CIA friends. And so he passed on the CIA. And they said, well, this is just crazy talk. <laughs> so at any rate, that's that's the backstory. Hal passed on this data to Skip, because Skip had an interest in, in this. And and uh, so he would ever, Skip would every now and again run one or another of us on one of these bases. 
to see if we produced data that even resembled what Pat Price was coming up with. And in fact, it was quite successful. He had me do Mount Hayes. I didn't know it was Mount Hayes. I thought it was just another training target, right? So I do it. And I I, I got this inside, you know, this, this space inside of a mountain. And there were these, I call them vehicles now, but they're just objects that my recollection is they kind of hovered over the floor a little bit. And people, the people who were working there can push them around and stuff. And I sketched them. And my sketches looked dramatically, dramatically like the sketches Pat Price had made. And that was really kind of, I didn't know that at the time because Skip just mm-hmm. said, well, you were doing Mount Hayes and Pat Price base as feedback. That's all the feedback I got. Later on, Hal gave me copies of all the Pat Price stuff. And I was able to compare my session, which by then had been released by the CIA. I was able to compare my session on that with Pat's session. And the correspondences were amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Are those are those sessions, when you said it's released by the CIA, are they on the Crest website if, if someone looked for them? I think they must be. Okay. I know how to find them in the – so the CIA released all these documents in 2004 on DVD or CD, I guess it was. I know how to find them in that. I haven't tried to find them in, in the online stuff that the CIA's got. So yeah, it seems to be purposely obscure. Like you have to you have to be pretty creative to find things, but you can find well things. the the whole declassification process was I, I won't say it was kind of sloppy, kind of put together, but I don't think it's purposely made that way. I think of course it was what they released, they, they had to, of course, PDF everything because it was originally just TIFF files on the on the CDs. And so they had to PDF everything. And, I mean, there are like 12,000 documents, I think, something like that. And so can you imagine somebody going through 12,000 documents, turning them into PDF? I mean, talk about monotonous. Right? It sounds like an intern, an intern summer job. It's your, your, your job. Yeah. So – and and, and what well, all they did was they went through the Fort Meade. Not even all the archives were there. And all the CIA had were there. But Ed May, who is the, the final chief scientist of the program, had a whole bunch of these archives, and he's been publishing them since. They were actually the science papers, the research papers, and the, the raw data that they had at, at SRI and later SIC. So, yeah, it, it it's just a, 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 a real mess trying to declassify that much stuff anyway. So I don't think it's purposeful, but the end result is it's hard to find things, you know. So you have to kind of have to know what you're looking for. Um, so so Mount Hayes, you do a remote viewing. It is remarkably similar yeah. to Pat Price. What kind of entities did you view when you looked at Mount Hayes? Well, and that's exactly how to describe it. I didn't uh I I talked about them as people but I could tell they were different than your average people, right? Mm-hmm. But what was interesting about it is what was normal about them, and that was these guys felt like they had been assigned to a dead-end job out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the boondocks, and they were bored, and they were not really – you would say their morale wasn't very high. <laughs> interesting. So, yeah, it was kind of like being assigned to a to a forward base in Korea for a year. You know, as a as a military guy, and so, and I think Mount Hayes wasn't. I could get this wrong, but wasn't Mount Hayes the like, like communications or collection hub, something like that? Or <clears throat> well, yeah, I can't remember what Pat said about that. I could 
look it up, but I'm not going to bother right now. He he said that different places had different purposes, and so that's possible. You know, uh, I don't. I'd have to go back and look at my session. It's been a while since I looked at it. I don't know that I highlighted on anything significant in that respect. I think I was just more describing the physical appearance and the and the kind of the general structure of the thing. So. And the entities that would you be able to see physical appearances of those? Beings? I didn't get that. I, I part of the reason I think is I just assumed they were people at the time. Yeah. Because I thought there's an operational target, right? You know, so I mean not an operational, but a practice target is kind of a normal terrestrial one. Well, as terrestrial, it wasn't normal, you know. So Okay. Yeah, so I so did that, that. And, and then there was the Argentinian minesweeper thing, which maybe you've heard about that. No, no, I definitely have not heard about that. So a, an Argentinian minesweeper was found adrift without anybody on it. It's kind of like the, the old Mary Celeste story, you know. It was adrift in, in the Atlantic off the coast of Argentina, and nobody was on it, and it showed all the evidence of a hasty abandonment of ship, and nobody knew why. And I'm not sure if there's any UFO rumors about it at the time, but Skip decided he would target all of us at one time or another on that event to find out what happened to the crew. And pretty much all of us returned data that was highly suggestive of a UFO event that interacted with the ship. I just kept getting an a, you know, analytical overlay, an AOL of UFO, and then I said, this is... I just am not making any progress with this. And so I ended the session, not realizing it was a UFO. <laughs> right? So so Bill Ray, who worked it, he got, and I, I he, you know, you probably ought to interview him sometime. Absolutely. Uh, awesome yeah. interview. And so I can't do justice to what he experienced, but it involved people just overcome with terror, a ship with people on it, some kind of weird phenomenon in the sky over it, and them being overcome by terror and jumping off the ship or something like that. And who else worked it? I think Joe McMonigle worked it with kind of similar results. And it seems like there's somebody else. Mel Riley did. I don't, don't I don't recall what their outcomes were on this. So but they all tended to confirm a UFO interaction with this. So and it, that was interesting too. You know, that was that was an interesting target. And again, there was concrete evidence that something had happened. Didn't know exactly what it was, which was the attempt at remote viewing to see if we could nail that down. Do you uh, recall what year this event, not not the remote viewing, but the year this event happened? I don't know if I ever knew. I actually got up on the internet and tried to locate it. I'm not a very good internet investigator and failed, but it's possible somebody may be able to find it. I'm not sure. I didn't have the name of the ship. It's possible if you had the name, you might find it out. Pretty quick if you had the name. Yeah, yeah. I should probably talk to Skip, see what more details I can find out about that. It's become... Back then, UFO stuff didn't really interest me much. I didn't see that there was much of a point, and I also was dubious about the results, even my results. There is this thing called telepathic overlay, that if you get tasked on a target that doesn't actually exist, that isn't real, you'll end up oftentimes defaulting to the next most powerful psychic source, which may be the beliefs of the person that has tasked you. And I'm convinced that happened a lot with the uh, Dame's taskings, is that mm -hmm. he had a preconceived idea of, of what the target was already. He already had his implicit bias, right? 
And then he'd run the viewer on it. The viewer would go out there and there was nothing there because it was speculative, imaginary. And so the subconscious, the viewer subconscious look around, well, there's not a target here. What's what am I going to get? And then pick up on the very strong beliefs of the tasker. And then that's what you get is as if it was a real target, but it isn't, obviously. So you write all that down, you draw sketches and stuff, and then you present that result in the and the uh, tasker thinks that their beliefs have been corroborated and uh, confirmed, right? When they haven't, all you've done is mm-hmm. get this loop going where you're reporting to them what they already believed. And so that's always a danger in these kind of anomaly targets like UFO events and stuff, which is why I say you should never remote view something like that unless you have an actual good, strong uh, evidentiary basis to think that at least there's something to this right any other terrestrial targets or exotic or ufo related probably i couldn't give you details on them right now i know i think i probably worked the rendlesham forest target and probably some of these other events during that time later ingo swan tasked me on roswell the roswell event what did you find and what did you find there actually I didn't get a lot of concrete stuff on that. And, I, you know, I, I should expect people are going to ask me these questions. <laughs> I should go back and review these things so I can give you a better answer. But my recollection is that part of my impression was a couple of people in a in a pickup truck looking up in the sky and noticing something unusual occurring. But I didn't really get a lot of further detail. I think part of the problem was that very quickly I realized this was Roswell. And, of course, that point... All the stuff I've ever heard about Roswell is in my head. And I said, no, I'm not going to make any headway here. You know, I'm just going to keep reporting or suspecting or speculating or whatever on stuff that may or may not be true. So I, it's, it's kind of not a, not a, not valuable to continue the session because of that. Now, what about off-world targets? What sort of off-world targets have you remote viewed? Well, did a bunch. Well, I did Mars. I think Skip ran me on Mars, and I'm not sure what I got there. I do. I do know I did one on Mars, but it was. Oh no, I'm sorry. It wasn't me. It was Tom McNair. See, that's the problem with memory. Sometimes you start thinking you did something that somebody else actually did, right? So I have to be really careful. Tom McNair did one against the. Uh, let's see, what were the the Mars probes? The very early Mars probes in the 80s. Was uh, it Viking? Viking. That sounds right. He was tasked on the lander. And, of course, he'd always been done doing terrestrial targets up to that point. And he gives a really good description of the Viking lander on Mars. So that's a concrete target. That's one where there's feedback. So that's not really an anomaly target. But what's great about that is it confirms that you can remote view accurately on a distant planet. That that was valuable for that reason. So anyway, so Dame's targeted me on a bunch of and my i'm not the only one obviously on a bunch of extraterrestrial targets such as the moon titan you know which what is that is that saturn saturn or saturn's titan and a bunch of others you know different kinds of things like that i mentioned the supreme galactic council you know that kind of thing and my results i i'm i don't endorse those as being accurate because of the possibility of telepathic overlay and that kind of thing. So, I don't know. I did do some that are a little more credible. Well, I did a couple of projects, actually, for Ingo Swan. Ingo asked me to remote view, but it turned out to be lunar targets. And all he did was give me coordinates 
and I can't tell a lunar coordinate from an Earth coordinate. I just listen to right. coordinates, right? Anyway, far side of the moon, at least one of them was. And I produced some information that was really quite interesting. I, I, I you know, I don't necessarily think this is real, but I, I think it's a higher probability of being real than some of the other stuff that I've worked that's off planet. Involved uh, detected like a cavern. First off, I I discovered it was the moon. I, I was thinking this is weird. It's very barren. There's these hills and rocks and stuff. Very barren, and I can't breathe. There's no air here. Hey, well, break. I think I'm on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did a number of sessions on that project and the other one as well. But this one, I got the impression that there was a large cavernous space under the surface. And that there, it was partly artificial, partly natural. That there were, there's activity inside this cavern, and I got the impression of a vehicle. When I say vehicle, I don't, I mean a. It was, it flew, if you can say fly without an atmosphere, right? It flew, and I drew a quite dramatic sketch of it, and it, and this was long before the second Battlestar Galactica, right? And I had the impression that it was a both biological and artificial artifactual mm -hmm. right and that it had a consciousness and that it was aware of me perceiving it and it wasn't really thrilled by that perception but it wasn't anything to do about it so all this stuff nothing like this that i ever experienced before in a session and frankly i don't think i've ever experienced anything since of course i don't get these kind of targetings a lot because i don't like them <laughs> but that a lot of what i produced in my session i later got the whole packet from Ingo that had his work and another viewer that was involved. And the correspondences were quite striking between our sessions, at least parts of them. You know, we each got stuff that the other one didn't get, but there were things that we all got, which that's one of the things that make me think that probably there's more, this is more of a credible session than I might otherwise have, have taken it for. And anything else when you were looked at mars that you saw so this is this is the moon but on mars well, i think like i said i think skip targeted me on mars but i don't have a good recollection of that it seems like he did because i now remember tom mcnair was collecting mars sessions that folks had done and i think i dug up some and sent of that i had done and sent them to him but i didn't go through them again so i don't have a good recollection of what was in them one of these days, I think he's going to do a report or a talk or maybe, I don't know, he should do a book, in my opinion, on the remote viewings, remote viewings, because there have been numerous, of Mars. It'd be interesting. Yeah. I'm going to rewind really quickly, but the answer is probably no. Have you ever done a remote viewing session of Skinwalker Ranch? <laughs> maybe. Is is that well? Is it maybe so I, because? I, let me yeah. put it this way: I've had some doings with Skinwalker Ranch, but I had to sign a really nasty NDA, so I really can't talk much about that. Got I could it. talk. I could talk a bit about the ranch, and I've interacted with a lot of people who are, you know, staff members. I'm, I've become good friends with Eric Bard, and you know, and Brandon Fugel. We we communicate back and forth periodically, and of course, I. John Alexander and Colm Kelleher and those folks from the Bigelow days, I know them. I've had some conversation with some of them about the about all of this. So, so yeah, 
I just can't tell you details about my most recent connection there. Why don't I try to ask a question in a roundabout way? Based on all your conversations, not in your remote viewing, mm-hmm. and based on based on my understanding of the ranch, just you know, two the two books that I've read, I think The Hunt for the Skinwalker and Skinwalkers of the Pentagon, uh, great books by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher, and I think James like the the Katsky on the second one. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of theories about what's what's driving the anomalies on that ranch mm-hmm. one key theme that keeps coming up is this orange portal that seems to open and close and things seem to come out of it what are your theories about what what the phenomena is so as an example is it extraterrestrial is it extra dimensional is it a mix of you know, all of the above is it a cornucopia of different phenomena that's all drawn to this place as examples. Yeah, well, the possibilities, obviously, and you've cited them, is, is it an ET hypothesis or is it some kind of, like you say, more alternate dimension kind of a thing, or is it actual magic, <laughs> right? Yeah, now, I don't yeah. know what I think believe about actual magic, but you can't rule it out. You know, there, there are... There are certainly plenty of skeptics that say, "Oh, yes, you can rule it out," but but there. So when somebody says magic, my mind instantly goes to some quantum mechanical explanation of just yeah. some physical or scientific property. Yeah, I'm not that we talking, just don't about, understand I'm talking about actual magic, right? Like I say, I don't know what to make of actual magic if it's real or not, but you can't rule right. it out. So I'm, I'm just running through all the options: ET, extra dimensional, actual magic misperception by physical observers and and, mm-hmm. and in fact misinterpretation of natural phenomenon all of those could be part of it or none of them could be part of it right we don't know well, and i don't have i don't have a any kind of a leaning in any particular direction right, right. that i'm kind of as far as i'm concerned the jury's still out on this i am sure that some of the reports we get are just human mistakes or fantasy I'm sure that some of that is. Yeah, always. But I think that there is a substantial amount that isn't based on talking to people who've actually experienced this. I mean, Brandon Fugel, I mean, he's pretty darn credible. People won't believe he is, but he, you know, because he's he's kind of endorsing the skinwalker ranch thing, right? But and he owns it, obviously. But I've talked to him about the his UFO experience he observed over the Mesa there and I absolutely believe that there was something there that was non-standard, right? Something that was a phenomenon of some kind. But what was that? I don't know. I I, I suspect there could even be a mix here of, mm-hmm. among the difference of these things. But you know, anyway, you're you're going to ask me another question, and so. Or, yeah, this is this strays a little bit from remote viewing, but and and part of it's almost a, a statement. So if you've, I'm sure you're familiar with the show, if you talk to all those folks, there's one thing that keeps coming up, this 1.6 gigahertz signal, which I, I thought was oddly curious because, and again, I'm just, all this is open source stuff. So there's a book by, I'm trying, I'm trying to like look across the room at the, the book that I have about the combat applications group, Delta Delta Force. And in one of these books, one of these, you know, there's actually not a lot of them. Delta Force is actually pretty quiet about what well, they do. Well, it's a small unit too, so. But there was a former sergeant major who was involved. 
and we're not actually no I'm, I'm talking about the wrong guy it's an officer so his book is probably written circa 2005 the, the they constantly carry iridium sat phones with them well the frequency at which the iridium sat phone works i think it's two bands one is 16.1 something gigahertz maybe one five and then the other one is 16 point three or four something gigahertz. So, so I said 16, 1.6. Mm-hmm. So it's in that gigahertz frequency range. So if they're intercepting that frequency, there's a good chance it's just, you know, somebody from the combat applications group is monitoring activity at the ranch. It would certainly be encrypted. Well, the thing, thing to say about that is if they're picking up a signal um, at that frequency, they're, that's not a monitoring signal, right? I mean, there'd have to be a transmitter at that frequency at the ranch and somebody operating on it. Right, for that exactly. Case. Yeah, exactly. So if there was somebody on the ground communicating with somebody elsewhere who's transmitting at 1.6 gigahertz, they might they might pick it up. So, anyway, it's just, a th- I'm not saying that's what it is, but yeah. it's a theory. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So, so this, I don't know a lot about that signal. So is that something that is always present or is that just sporadic? It's sporadic. So every now and then they'll get a really strong 1.6 gigahertz so signal. It would, tra- would correspond with, with a, some kind of transmission schedule or whatever. I don't know. There's, there's way better ways to monitor than with an Iridium sat phone though. <laughs> Yeah, well, it could just be some guy calling, and yeah, there, there yeah, certainly is. Yeah, and I don't know, I don't know what else is in that bandwidth, but you know, I don't know. My time there, if somebody is doing that, they they spend a lot of boring time in between mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff to transmit. So I don't know. You know, I I since I don't know what's really going on there, and since apparently nobody else does either, at least anybody who's who's who has public access it's all speculative and i can't rule anything out i mean maybe there's some monitoring going on if that's the case then whoever's doing the monitoring probably knows more about what's going on there than the people who actually own and run the ranch because those guys don't know what it is either you know having fairly extensive conversation with them they they're all convinced and, and let me tell you eric bard he's a very concrete thinker he's very careful he's very conservative mm-hmm. in his conjectures and speculations for for very good reasons and and i commend him that because it's too easy to get fooled in these domains right when you're mm-hmm. dealing with this paranormal stuff it's too easy to be fooled either fooling yourself or be fooled by other people even people who don't mean to be fooling you right? it's just it happens all the time he's very conservative very cautious and he's absolutely sure there's something going on here that is not within the normal physical domain as well. And so I'm convinced there's things going on here. What they are talking to those guys, nobody, none of them know what it is either. They don't even have a strong opinion. Other than they think there is an extraterrestrial component, if only because of the UFO stuff they've been observing. Right now, there's another side to it. I, I can see that you wanted to ask something else. But yes, and that is the uh, projected consciousness possibility that I've been talking about lately in a number of my conference presentations and stuff. So we can we can leave that for the moment. Go, let me. Yeah, but I definitely want to get back to that. So the other question, and I 
it could just be an oversight on my part, but I haven't seen it or heard it discussed. Have you know, during the course of the NIDS investigation, the DIA's subsequent investigation, et cetera, did they do any experiments that looked at the impact of infrasound on, you know, hallucinogen, you know, I didn't, I didn't, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just didn't see anything. I, somewhere like in my recollection, infrasound and skinwalker ring a bell, right? I don't know what that is. I'd have to ask Eric or I'd have to ask John Alexander or somebody. So just for the benefit of the audience, and this this came up because there's a phenomenon out here in the West around Big Sur called the Dark Watchers. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. So it was mentioned in a short story by Steinbeck called, called The Red Pony, but it's well, it's been I read that story. I don't remember that though. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah, there's there's like an oblique reference to these things called the the dark watchers, which are you're familiar with, like shadow people and like that. Yeah, sort of thing. yeah. So the, so they're they're like images of, you know, shadows that appear on the cliffs of the I can't remember the name of the mountain range down there. But around typically around twilight, you see these 10 foot fall, tall figures with with hats and there's people who typically see them experience an intense feeling of dread and one of the scientific explanations i'm not saying that it's not a real phenomenon but one of the scientific explanations for the you know seeing the, these things and also having that feeling is the the infrasound that's produced by the crash of the waves against mm-hmm. the rocks in the big sur area causes you know, humans humans ha- have these feelings have hallucinations or have been known to have hallucinations when they're around infrasound sure. so that's just one area that would be kind of interesting because there's there's another effect that's mentioned in the book about the blue orbs so when which people book? are you talking about the skinwalker one of the skinwalker books or hunt for the skinwalker yeah 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 so before we pass steinbeck what is he called dark watchers dark what dark dark watchers dark watchers i'm going to check that out that sounds that sounds interesting and steinbeck i i really admire him as a writer and i've read just about everything he wrote so i have to go back and revisit that so yeah he's uh I did a long book report on him when I was in high school and, and he's like me, he's also Irish, like half Irish, half German. And then we, we both went to the same undergrad institution. So anyway, there's a lot of weird things with Steinbeck, but so going back to the, the, you know, the blue orbs that are reported in both, both books, actually, there are several reports also in both books upon seeing those blue orbs, well, in one book, there's that, but there's a, there's another case where I don't necessarily know that they're present. But there's a phenomenon on the ranch where people report being illogically and unnaturally afraid. Like they don't see yep. a stimulus. They don't, other than sometimes seeing a blue orb, but they know it's not the stimulus, like it's unnatural, but they feel this intense sort yes. of fear. And you know, again, one theory I, you could know, just throw out there. Again, I have I'm not a scientist. I do not have a PhD. I have not done extensive research on this. Might be if if you know you wanted to create a weapon like that today, you would have something that would emit some sort of infras- infrasound and cause all sorts of hallucinations and 
you know, this kind of unnatural fear and things like that. My guess is if the phenomena is real, it's probably far more intricate than that, but it's just one area, one loose end that someone might, a scientist might try yeah. to review. So, so that would be a, a potentially credible scientific explanation to that fear experience that folks have and certainly can't rule it out. I mean, even that could point to an extra to a terrestrial, you know, a conventional source, or it could point, I mean, ETs could use that if exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so exactly until they can nail that down. Now, whether infrasound actually has that effect on people, I don't think there's research for that, but it doesn't mean it can't. You just have to engineer Mm -hmm. it at the right frequency possibly, right. To make it work. But there's another aspect here, and I did mention it before, and that's projected consciousness, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's I, go back to that, actually. Yeah, as as I often tell people, and it's true, um, I've pr- tried to keep ET UFO anomaly stuff at at arm's length, and I, I, of course, I've only been semi successful at that because I get sucked into this all the time. But and part of that is because I feel like a number of my former colleagues have really gone over the top on the alien UFO thing and attributing their beliefs to remote viewing when I find that relatively incredible, mm-hmm. <laughs> not because it's not possible because I don't think they do. They do follow the protocols very reliably because they're so in love with this topic that they want it to be a certain way. And so they start exaggerating and making things up and all which, that. which impacts the credibility of remote viewing, even exactly. though it is an absolutely verifiable phenomena that people are capable of doing. And it just muddies the water. Exactly. And that's always been my concern, but you can't escape the fact that there are things happening that we don't have a good explanation for just outside of the remote environment. So, you know, I've been very excited about this stuff that DOD is coming up with the Navy, particularly in the Air Force and such, about UAPs. And, and the Nimitz task group, you know, the UAP event there, so well documented. I mean, multispectral. So you have, so one of the, it, both in intelligence and in epistemology, I get this both in the intelligence world and when, from my uh, studies in philosophy, we validate truth based on multiple channels, right? The more confirmatory independent channels of information you get about a certain effect or a certain event or, or phenomenon, the more reliable we can be in judging whether it's a real phenomenon or not, right? And so in the intelligence world, that's what we call multi-source or all source intelligence, you want to find out what the enemy's doing, the more independent sources you have that confirm what they're doing, the more reliable your intelligence is. Mm -hmm. Same thing in epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, and how we know what we know. The more independent channels we get that corroborate a fact, the more we can rely on that fact. And the Nimitz thing was an absolutely classic case of corroborating evidence. Because you had the visual contacts with the pilots, and I think even some people on the ships. You had the gun camera footage. You had the targeting radars. You had the Aegis radar systems on the on the supporting ships, the cruisers and stuff. You had FLIR, you know, forward-looking infrared imagery. You had all of these different things, and they're all independent of each other, and they all pointed to the same thing happening. And so that's really really good evidence. So we have that evidence. The stuff is, is real. And so that's, 
So there have been other incidences like the Nimitz group, and those aren't public yet. So, um, so projected consciousness, how does that fit? Okay, so in Penetration Ego's book, it wasn't so much about remote viewing aliens, although people tend to think that was it, but it's more about his concern about alien capabilities of influencing humans telepathically, right? And he he was worried that aliens could make you believe whatever they wanted you to believe. And so they could generate uh, phenomena in your head that weren't actually out there in Mm -hmm. actual objective reality. That could explain these fear things. It could be infrasound, could be technologically generated, or it could be this projected consciousness to make you feel that way about certain things, right? Or make you think you had seen something that you didn't really see, or make you see something in a way other than what it actually was, because it's essentially the old brain in the vat story. And this goes clear back to René Descartes in the in the 1600s, right? Where uh, cogito ergo sum. Yes, yeah. The idea that maybe maybe this whole reality is actually some evil demon that's influencing my my mind, and I'm not really in this world, right? So and kind then, of like a Jacques Vallée sort yeah. of. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, Jacques has something to say about this as well, but what. That could be. I mean, it's, it, so that René Descartes talked about the evil demon, but that's been modernized. Where what if you're actually just a brain in a vat, and there's all these leads coming in from a very high-powered computer that feeds sensory impulses into your brain, electrochemical impulses into your brain, that cause you to have the same kind of experience as you had if you were really in that environment. So this is like kind of where The Matrix came from, the movie The Matrix. It's mm-hmm. the same idea, right? You are absolutely convinced that you are in an environment and yet you're not. You're a brain in a vat. And and it's conceivable that aliens could be so advanced. See, people worry about them being advanced technologically. They can tra- do interplanetary travel and all that stuff, right? They should worry about they're more advanced consciously. Mm-hmm. That's really the a bigger threat because that means that they can project whatever they want into your mind and make you believe you experienced something or make you believe you didn't experience something, right? And and manipulate humans through consciousness. And that is really the key element in penetration. That's why that book was written, okay? And obviously, there's a lot of other stuff, but that's, that's the core. And so I've given a couple of talks on this topic and expressed that concern. Do I know that's happening? No, I don't know it's happening. Do I believe it's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. I mean, it's certainly at least, very least logically possible. And because I know remote viewing works, that suggests a lot of other things may also be possible from an empirical perspective. So I think it's something we at least ought to take seriously as a possibility. And that reflects, for example, on the abduction phenomenon. You know, people absolutely convinced they've been abducted, and yet they are laying in bed with their spouse. Their spouse has been with them the whole time. Spouse knows they they didn't actually physically go anywhere, and yet they're absolutely convinced they've been taken up to a spaceship and anal probes and all that stuff, right? Now, I'm not saying that all abduction experiences are are are, are illusions created but generated by aliens, but we can't rule out the possibility that at least some of them are, right? So that's just an example of how this could be going on. Now, why would they be doing it? Well, I don't know. I mean, you could speculate why, if aliens are doing it, 
Why would they be doing it? Why might they be doing it? There's lots of reasons, including some we have no clue about because aliens are aliens, you know, and they, right. by definition, probably have purposes and agendas that we're not totally, you know, that we could even make sense of potentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could come up with on the spot any number of random, you know, maybe they're looking for a particular DNA sequence. In which that you know you you don't see the Bigfoot come out of the hole, but everybody else does, and they want to extract that DNA for some other purpose. You know, but who knows, right? I'm just making this stuff up, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it's you know it's an unknown, like so many things are unknowns, and we can speculate, and and some people even form firm conclusions without any real evidence for that reason why they believe that, but they do. You know, so. I think the only certain thing is at least the people who we think are associated with the ranch, right? Or that we know, sorry, we know that are associated with the ranch, yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. And, you know, then there's plenty of known unknowns and unknown unknowns that we can't even. My sense in dealing with people who've been associated with the ranch, and uh, that's starting to be quite a list. My sense is that the more you know about the phenomena there that are occurring there, the less certain you are as to what's causing it. Mm-hmm. That, that that's my impression they might say something different i don't know but that's the impression i've i've gotten from it all right my friend it's been a fascinating discussion and i look forward to many more hopefully i'm up for it whenever i've got time <laughs> all right well thank you again you bet well thank you i always i always like uh, having conversation with smart people Well, I I fooled you, obviously. So I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.